0: Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of Tim to Amazing. I'm Tim Ryder from Exmerized. Uh Lots of news on this lovely Saturday evening. Uh, we have a special guest with us to discuss some of that. Uh, lots of fronts to, uh, to go over, but uh, this will be a quick one. Let me introduce my guest. We have my buddy James Fox. He's the editor and writer over at Southside Sox, which is a site that covers the White Sox. Uh, also a senior editor and podcast co-host over at Future Sox. So, uh... Of course, there's a uh, a nice kinship between Mets fans and White Sox fans, always being the uh, quote unquote little brother. So uh, this should be a nice, fun uh, conversation. James, what's happening, buddy?
1: <laughs> Not anymore. I think that kinship's over. We're so jealous. My God, <laughs> my God, are we jealous? Nothing like good ownership. It goes a really, really long way.
0: Oh, we are excited. Uh, I think the the entire fan base is just uh, over the moon. This is uh, it's something new for us. Um, you know, personally i have to keep on pinching myself telling me it's real but
1: yeah uh, I, I think we're, a lot of us are count you know a lot of us are counting down the days and you know how it is i mean it's 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 tough and you know this might be you know i guess ugly for some listeners but it sucks cuz like you don't you know you don't you don't want like to be rooting for for death obviously like ever but it but it's like one of those things right where it's like there's nothing you can do to change ownership so you know especially when you know, the owner of the White Sox, Jerry Reinsdorf, is like in his mid-80s. I mean, he's not, you know, he's not going to sell the team. He wants to win one more time. But, I mean, you know, it's, uh, he wants to win on his terms. So, it's a little bit different than what you guys got going on.
0: Well, I mean, we were, uh, I, I know for myself, I was under the impression the sale would never happen. Uh, if this was just, uh, you know, a year ago, you could have told me that, you know, the Wilpons would own the team, you know, until Jeff's gone. And uh, I would I would have believed it. I never thought this would have happened, and uh, it did. But here we are. So the wheels have started to turn. Uh, the Mets made a fine pickup today. They they found a, a starting catcher at what's expected to be probably less than half of what JT Muto is going to get on a on a per year basis. Uh, Mets signed uh, former White Sox backup uh, James McCann. And James, that's why you're here today. We uh, we can learn a little bit about what McCann brings to the table. So. Uh, Go ahead. Why don't you give us a little scatter report?
1: So, you know, I think for that money, I think it's pretty good. You know, four years, 40 is, you know, that's pretty good value. Now, it's easy to look at James McCann's history and think, you know, kind of what are we doing here? Because, he, look, he was pretty bad. I mean, he got non-tendered with Detroit. He came to the White Sox for $2 million, and Rick Hahn was criticized because they gave $2 million to this guy. They're like, why are you signing this bum? Like we saw him in Detroit. And, you know, the one thing that he's always been able to do, you know, he could throw. He throws out runners. Um, you know, we didn't really know the rapport that he has with pitchers. Pitchers love James McCann. And, you know, so that's the one thing. I mean, you're, you're buying in because of, like, what he does with the pitching staff. His power has improved um, you know, he, so I think he deserves the chance to start because he's been really good. The only thing I would caution is, you know, he was overused a little bit. 2019 started sputter in the second half after a great first half. And then with the White Sox in 2020, he played in 31 games, splitting time. Um, you know, so he just can't be overused. He should play every day against, he murders left handed pitching. Like, absolutely. Like, I think to a tune of, you know, like a 150 weighted runs created plus against left handed pitching. Now, you know, the overall numbers aren't going to look like that if you play him 130 times behind the plate. I do think the Mets should invest probably in another catcher. I don't know what their prospect or backup situation is, but, you know, if you added a guy like Jason Castro cheap to face righties occasionally, I think something like that works. And McCann's your primary guy. You know, I think. For ten million a year, though, like I think it's fine. I think that's nothing, um, you know, to to worry about. And I think he also, you know, that gives you the opportunity. I'm guessing to sign. George Springer as well, who I think is the best free agent on the market. I, you know, I understand being apprehensive about JT Realmuto Muto just because, look, like you're going to give a catcher $100 million and catchers need about 30 days off during the year. So, like, I get not spending that type of money at catcher when you could just do James McCann instead and then allocate the rest elsewhere. So I do, you know, I do think it's a good day for Mets fans, um, but you also get what you pay for, right? Like you you got to understand James McCann, you know, is probably in the top third of catchers in the league. Um, But, but there is real risk in him playing too often.
0: I guess, you know, we, we've seen the, um, the pit, the pitfalls of a streaky hitter, uh, especially behind the plate. I mean, we've had Wilson Ramos uh, in New York for the last couple of years. So, uh, you know, we, we've seen, of course, the benefits uh, of a hot streak, but we've also seen what a, what a cold snap can do uh, to a lineup. And, You know, thankfully the Mets, you know, batting order pretty much one through eight or one through nine, hopefully, if the DH gets pushed through. Um, It's it's solid. And, you know, a weak spot at the catcher's position is something that I guess as fans we've become used to from time to time. Um, And, you know, it's kind of how the the game has gone. There's only a select few catchers who can really bring uh, true offensive value, um, or at least above average offensive value. Uh, from that position, so you know if we're getting this this two seventy, you know uh, three thirty on b- on base percentage type McCann with a little bit of pop, I think that's um, that's a plus. Uh, you know his framing. Um, I know we were just talking a little bit about it on Twitter uh, before we jumped on the air. Um, he's made leaps and bounds, and our buddy Dillip Dillip Shridhar over at uh, Metzmerized, put out a great article recently. It was just reshared today. If you're on Twitter, take a look at that. Um, so, you know, his framing metrics certainly saw a substantial jump in 2020. Um, he's, you know, by, by various reports, he's been putting in a lot of time to kind of improve that facet of his game. Um, as you were saying earlier, uh, pitchers just truly enjoy throwing to him. Um, I know for my little news brief from Esmerize today, uh, I picked up a, a comment from Lucas Giolito. He's just speak, speaking his praises. That seems to be the case across the board. Um, Between his knowledge of analytics, his dedication to hitter tendencies, um, his, you know, ever-expanding, I guess, cachet of framing skills, um, do you still see a higher ceiling than what, what I guess, we saw from James McCann over the past two years? Like, is there still room for development, or is this kind of, you know, like you said, what you see is what you get?
1: I don't know. I think he, I think he could get a little bit better. Honestly, I just think I I, I think everyday fans are gonna love James McCann. That's kind of how it was here. Now, people that dig a little deeper and look analytically, you know, he look if you he, he's had issues with with runners and scoring position and stuff like that. But look, he's only played. I mean, he, was, he wasn't a full-time player, really, until 2019, and then last year he split time. I mean, he was—he put up a, a 1.5 F war season in 30 games with the Sox last year. I mean, you know, its it's a fairly significant loss for the White Sox, but they were never, ever... Going to be able to keep him after, after paying what they did for Yasmani Grandal and the Sox have had such a weird lineup with a Brayu, and you want a DH Grandal when he's not playing, and then you have Aloy Jimenez and you have Andrew Vaughn coming. There, you know there just wasn't room, and there you know there there was a lot of outcry here locally. You know people holding out hope that like McCann was going to come back to like be the backup. It just I, it never made any sense. Like he earned the deal for a reason. I do think he's ascending. I mean, look in year three and four when he's you know, 34, 35 years old or whatever he's going to be like, is he going to be as good? Probably not, but that's not what you're paying for. I think you're paying for the next two years, obviously, but he's always, even if he does deteriorate a little bit, um, you know, he's always going to provide value because he gets the most out of pitchers. And he, he, like I said, he absolutely destroys lefties. Like he's, he, there shouldn't be, you know, there shouldn't be a day where he doesn't start against a left-handed pitcher. So that's, that's a big positive. The Giolito thing you mentioned is huge here. Um, so you know he gets attributed a lot to Lucas Giolito's success because Lucas said that you know he loves throwing to James and you know they would throw to each other. You know I think I kind of fall in line of like Lucas Giolito is going to be great throwing to anybody because Lucas Giolito's great. You know and James McCann's too good to be a personal catcher. Lucas Giolito went back to his high school pitching coach, um, made a lot of big changes to his arsenal into his program that's how he got good and mccann was just kind of there um as well but i mean look you're gonna you're gonna hear stories about how you know somebody somebody got better and they're gonna attribute themselves to james mccann like it's it's going to happen so um i yeah i i would i think it's i think it's a pretty good deal because especially when you know even if he's not as good as expected when your owner steve cohen like you've said i feel like 10 million a year for a catcher is not not that big of a deal
0: Oh, for sure, and you know when when you re- once you remove that pressure of um, you know a high paid a high paid guy like him and Real Muto, they're around the same age, and I don't think there's any question that Real Muto is probably the more talented ball player. But you know, if you're coughing up twenty million a year for Real Muto and he underperforms, you know that's going to draw the ire of fans uh, a lot more than a a guy who's making ten million dollars a year and. You know, like you said, uh, I think we're playing with house money if he still produces at this level. And I'm just looking up his exploits for his left handers. In twenty nineteen he hit two ninety five, three seventy two, four ninety two in uh oh, just hundred and thirty seven plate appearances. Looks like they didn't really utilize him as much as they should. Yeah,
1: McCann, uh, McCann yeah, he didn't he, certainly he didn't rate. he didn't play he didn't play much because like I said, you had Jose Abreu at first and they signed Edwin Encarnacion. Um, oh, yeah. so then, so then, you know, McCann basically only played when he caught and then, you know, then there was this huge problem because it's like, well, you gave Yasmani Grandal all this money. Why is he not DHing? Right. And then you DH right. Grandal. Well, then Encarnacion has to sit and you're paying him 12 million. So it was, it was, it was a really weird team last year. You know, and McCann, oh McCann doesn't really like DHing. He hasn't been very good at it. So look, I mean, obviously, once that eventually happens and it's in the National League, if you have another catcher, like I'm sure McCann'll DH occasionally. Um, but you know, that that's not something that he's that he's really like doing. So the Mets fans are gonna love him though. He's a, he's a great dude. Sox fans really, really liked him, and I think part of that is because. You know, it's a little bit of the underdog story, right? I mean, he was a bust in Detroit. Like, he was a second-round pick. He was supposed to be really good. He wasn't. He figured it out late, like most catchers do. Um, and, you know, I, I think there's a lot of White Sox fans that, that you know, that were hoping that, that the Sox would somehow, like, trade Yasmani Grandal and keep James McCann for cheaper and do something else with the money. So I'm not one of those people, but that, you know, that is some of the thought here.
0: Oh, sure. And I think that's probably some of the thought, um, from the Mets perspective as well. Like you were saying earlier, this really opens up the door. It gives them a lot more financial, uh, financial flexibility. Um, I still think Springer is a uh, just a perfect fit, um, no matter what it does to the rest of the roster. Like, sure. It's going to create issues for who's playing left field when it comes down to Brandon Nimmo or Dom Smith. And you kind of have to have both those guys in the lineup on a consistent basis. But, uh, in in any case, you know, however the cookie crumbles, George Springer on the roster makes him a better team. So, uh that's just, just a, a no-brainer.
1: Yeah, um, I mean it does, it does now, yeah, like I, I think it I think George Springer um George Springer, James McCann and Jake Odorizzi is probably a better use of resources than JT Realmuto and whatever. One other, you know, whatever other pitcher, you, you know, that you were going to sign. So, you know, just well, because... Well, Bauer's be, out there, j- and everybody,
0: yeah. everybody's all about Bauer.
1: Yeah, I think Bauer's going to, you know, I, look, I, I, I don't think I'm going to bet against Steve Cohen anytime soon, but I have a feeling Bauer's going West, so.
0: Oh, I do too. I, I You know, I, I, think, I think him coming to New York, I mean, we've seen... I'm going to put aside, he has his whole, you know, his whole persona that he's out there and I'm cool with confidence. That's fine. But, um, you know, you can look, you folks can look it up yourself. I'm not going to get into it, but check out.
1: Once you, when you get some time, check out the, uh, check out the 2019 numbers of, of, uh, Bauer and the 2019 numbers of Jake Odorizzi and just put them side by side and see what you think about
0: that. So, Oh yeah, no, Bauer's been inconsistent. And, you know, you can look at his 2018 and you can look at his 2020 and be like, oh, wow, that's it. That's the ceiling. But I, I know if it's my money, I'm not ready to throw 25, 30 million at a guy per season for I might get a 4.5 ERA. I might get a 2.5 ERA. I'm not willing to take that risk. That's a gamble. But uh, Odorizzi, especially back with, um, with, J- with uh, Jeremy Hefner, who he thrived with in Minnesota, I think that'd be a a home run. I think that'd be a huge pickup. And you got Syndergaard coming back. You have Stroman back in the fold. Uh, Peterson, young lefty, uh, really showed a lot of promise last season. Um, You know, I'd like to see some depth moves, and I'm okay with some more uh, guys to kind of create competition because I'm a big believer in competition breeds excellence. But, uh, yeah, I think if they keep on spreading out and, uh, you know, just checking these boxes off, you know, they're going to be in good shape, and you know, with the money behind it, it's just so, so different. Just uh, It's very exciting. I think Strowman,
1: too. I think Strowman's the type of guy that's going to thrive even more with, with a James McCann. That's, that's the, the type of guy, too, and especially James McCann has gotten way better stealing strikes like at the bottom of the zone. That's, that's kind of what Strowman does, so that, that's a pretty good fit.
0: Um, I know that we spoke a little bit briefly. Uh, I guess this is just what I've heard is that McCann is, um, I guess you could say, analytically uh, adept. You know, he, he's very familiar and willing to take, uh, you know, I guess, advanced metrics into consideration and is able to digest. Uh, the Mets have taken a, um, you know, I guess last year hiring Hefner and, and adding him along with Jeremy Ricardo. Uh, they're very analytically minded. Um, you know, do you think he's, uh, you know, is he that guy who's going to be able to kind of, that conduit of information from the analytics department to his pitchers and kind of use that in his game plan?
1: I, yeah, I think so. I mean, he, he, was, he was really good at it. He was that guy. And, the, you know, the White Sox typically haven't – the White Sox have typically been old school, um, especially with Don Cooper there. But they've – you know they have advanced quite a bit over the past few years, and it was mostly their assistant pitching coach doing that stuff, and then obviously McCann, and then Grandel is a stat head too. So you know having both of those guys was was a benefit. You know I do think I mean James McCann definitely understood his shortcomings, right? Like he, he turned you know he he figured out his offensive game with the Sox in 2019, and then the Sox go out and they spend money on Yasmani anyway. And then James McCann, his whole focus of the offseason was framing, you know, and as you tweeted earlier, I mean, you know, that emphasis paid off because it worked, right? That was like one of the low points of his game. It was kind of like, you know, pitchers like James McCann, they love pitching to him. He can throw runners out, but he can't frame. Well, now he can frame too, and he just got $40 million because of it. So, you know, good for him. Good for James. He's He's a good dude, and he, you know, he deserves the money, and I hope he does well.
0: Oh, I think we're all we're all hoping for the same. Um, now the Mets also made another big move on Saturday. They finally named their general manager. Um, this is a guy that you you know, you guys know, uh, you know, somewhat. It's like Mets fans knowing a little bit about the Yankees. Uh, Jared Porter, who passed through the Chicago Cubs organization after leaving Boston after about a decade and a half. Um, Many thought that he was going to be a shoe in as Chad Hoyer's general manager for the Cubs this year. The uh, Mets apparently swooped in and got their guy. Any um, any input on on Porter? Yeah, so I mean, look, he's one of these guys, and
1: I don't know if he's just like a media darling, right? But he is one of these guys that everybody has good stuff to say about. So, like, you know, that's not bad. But he might just have a lot of friends. You know, he he is on the Theo side. You know, he, he was a part of multiple World Series winning teams um, in Boston and then with the Cubs, obviously, and then he went over to the Diamondbacks, so kind of a weird title, like, you know, because they have Mike Hazen as, like, their president of baseball ops, and then, you know, they had uh, Amiel Sawade or whatever. He, You know, him and Porter were both Cubs guys that were over there, and you don't really know, like, what they're doing because it's, like, kind of like a triumvirate, right? So I- I'm pretty surprised at the hire. Not that, like, the Mets wanted him. He just, you know, it was reported here that, like, you know, he was going to be the next Cubs GM, and, you know, that might just be as simple as, like, Jed Hoyer truly wants to go outside of the Theo bubble for once, and they've talked about that a lot here, how all of Theo's hires, like, while they're good, they're all kind of, like, Ivy League white dudes, you know, and you know, they, they kind of wanted a different voice in there. So, you know, I think another guy that the Mets might've interviewed, Michael, Michael Hill from the Marlins, I think he's an option here. So maybe it's that, you know, maybe it's, or maybe it's just, you know, he couldn't turn down the opportunity to go to the Mets, which, which is possible. I mean, if you're underneath Alderson, who, you know, probably doesn't want to run the show like for, for that long and Steve Cohen, you're going to be able to spend some money. So I do know Jared Porter has been involved in everything um, for the Diamondbacks and for the Cubs, but he's more, he's more of a pro-scouting guy. So I don't know the Mets' power structure. Um, so if they have a bunch of, you know, amateur scouting-type guys, Jared Porter fits in perfectly, like, on the pro side.
0: Yeah, I think um, I know earlier in the offseason, the Mets said that they were going to make a point um, to expand their amateur scouting, expand their international scouting, and I think, I guess, the pro-scouting was probably the next logical step. And by all accounts, Porter seems to be that guy. Um, I know I, I saw a quick interview with him. I guess he was speaking with Brian Kenny, and this is from last year. But, like, he, he took full, I don't want to say responsibility, but, like, went out there and said, yeah, you know, we had to make the tough decision to go ahead and trade Paul Goldschmidt and trade Zach Granke. Um, but, you know, it shows me that they're not really scared to, to make a big move. And he, he's, you know, he's really going to go out and just do whatever's best for the New York Mets. and um you know, without the financial constraints and the, the meddling that we saw with the previous ownership, um, that's exciting because, you know, there's a strong core here. But, you know, when you have big, strong pieces that really kind of don't fit in the, the future plans, which, you know, I hate to say it because I do like his game, but like JD Davis, um, you know, without a DH especially, it's looking like he might not really have a spot on this team. And if he's on the bench, that deep into your bench, and that's a good thing, but. Um I, I I wouldn't be shocked if he's included in trade talks and possibly moved. And with a guy like Porter, who's, again, showing that he's not going to be uh, the one to shy away from these things, I'm thinking maybe that could uh, accelerate that process. But, yeah. but, again,
1: we shall see. I think Jared Porter might have learned from his mentor, too. Like, you know, go go to the teams where, you know, there's not going to be unlimited money, but you're not going to be hamstrung and have to, you know, you don't you don't want to be the Phillies where you go all in and then all of a sudden the money's gone and then you're, you know, you're, you're rebuilding all of a sudden. It doesn't seem like Steve Cohen is going to run an organization like this. So, you know, you, you pretty much get full autonomy, I would think. I mean, obviously Sandy's there, but you'd know better than me. It, it you know, it, it doesn't seem like Sandy wants to be the total lead decision maker on the phone with agents for long. So.
0: Yeah, that seemed like a, a pivot. Um, you know, an unexpected pivot, I should say. Uh, the Mets wanted to hire a president of baseball ops. That didn't really pan out. So Sandy kind of took the wheel for a few weeks. And, you know, I, I, I spoke to a couple of agents, and they're like, yeah, yeah, Sandy's been the one reaching out and making the calls. And, you know, that's awesome. I, I love that because he's a respected guy. So, you know, that you know the phone rings and you see it's Sandy and You know, yeah. you kind of got to have your A game. Of it, it's, it's exciting.
1: I think Porter's probably, you know, Porter's one of the best options because, you know, he's probably one of the next guys to be, like, one of the better GMs in baseball. And, you know, they they, they kind of have structure issues, right? I mean, it's good with an owner that's going to spend. But look, man, like, no no sitting GM like a David Stearns or a Theo Epstein is going to go be president of baseball operations if they have to report to Sandy Alderson. They're just not going to. So, you know, I think the Mets pivoted quickly. Because of that. And that's not to say that they won't hire like a president of baseball ops like in the future. It's just right now, you know, I think it's tough to get somebody to leave a number one job for for what is essentially like a number two job.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Like a lateral move isn't really a uh, it's not a, it's not, you know, something that these guys want to go out and do. They want to keep on advancing. But, right, like you a know, date, I'm like happy like with Porter.
1: Yeah, like a David Stearns, right? Like David Stearns, like doesn't have to ask anybody's permission to make a trade. He goes to the net. He goes to the Mets. He probably has to run it by Alderson. So, you know that Jared Porter's fine with that. This is a promotion. Um, you know he'll, he he's GM of the New York Mets. I mean that's you know it's a pretty good gig now.
0: Yeah, and I guess uh, I know Alderson came out and said they would like to find someone for the GM spot who they can groom into a future president of baseball option. You know, just from very initial um, peaks into his history, it looks like that, you know, he's well-versed enough. And I know Mark Carrick put out a pretty cool tweet about this. Uh, He speaks, uh, he's fluent in many baseball languages. So I would imagine he probably checks off that box. But speaking of teams that have kind of changed uh, changed their direction, or constantly changed their direction, I should say, what's going on in Chicago on the south side? You guys got a lot of young talent. Um, like you said, last year they kind of went out and spent big money. Uh, Sign of the times—they haven't really been doing the same this offseason. But you know, first pro- first postseason appearance in a while last year. What's uh, what's cooking in Chicago, man?
1: So I think you know I think they're AL Central favorites, even if they don't do anything else. And I do expect them to do. A little bit more, uh, you know. There are some fans upset here just because, you know, they were told that the money was going to be spent like after the rebuild, and the White Sox aren't in on George Springer, and they're probably not signing Trevor Bauer, you know. But, you know, I, I, I think their payroll is going to be right around the 140 million dollar range. They do have a lot of young talent locked up, you know. So, you know, they brought in Lance Lynn, which is a tremendous move for them. That's that's exactly. The type of guy that they needed. I think they'll extend him. He's an Indianapolis guy, so I, I think he stays. You know, people aren't very happy about the Adam Eaton signing. They wanted more in right field. Um, but if you platoon Adam Eaton and Adam Angle, you know, I, I think that's fine depending on what else they do. Apparently, Liam Hendricks is in their sights. Um, you know, I, I understand not wanting to allocate big money to a closer but if you're going to do it that guy's you know probably the guy and it's look it's probably not going to be a 70 million dollar deal it'll be more like three years 40 something like that for Hendricks which would be a big move and then you know I think they add one more vet starter like a Jose Quintana or Garrett Richards and uh you know maybe maybe a cheaper left-handed bat somewhere in the offseason and then you go to work and you know you hire Tony La Russa to (laughs) come out of retirement and manage you're in uh you're you're in win mode, and you know they think they can win the World Series, and you know they got as good a shot as anybody in the AL. I think at this point, so we'll we'll see what else they do. But you know, White Sox fans are kind of like Mets fans; we're they're not they're not happy unless they're unhappy.
0: So it'll always be something here. Oh yeah, man we we've had we've had journalists actually call us masochists. So. Oh, yeah, uh, we are. You know, and Jet. Yeah, we're, we're like oh, Jets yeah. fans, too. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we're, I'm telling you, man, the, the kinship is... Until one of us win a World Series, the, the, the kinship is there. Yeah. But um, that, I have one last question about the White Sox, because I am a big Luis Roberts fan. Uh-huh. Um, I, I, he took a step back as the season we were on last, season, uh, last year. Do you feel like... Um, that's just a blip on the radar. I mean, personally, I think it counts through the roof. But, um, you know, seeing major league pitching can be discouraging to a young hitter. Do you think he gets over that hump?
1: Yeah, I think he's fine. I, I think he, you know, if they played 100 more games, I think he's rookie of the year going away, personally. Probably probably like a four-war rookie. Um, you know, he, he had a, he had a rough, really rough time. And, you know, he was trying to swing his way out of it. And that's just kind of, you know, the way he is. But the thing about Luis Robert is even if he's not as good – Offensively, as people are hoping, and I think he will be. Um, he he's tremendous in center field. I mean, he won the Gold Glove in center field, and he could win a bunch more of them. I mean, that's the one thing that I talked about with people last year—the thing that we all underrated, and I did too. You know, I thought he was this like hulking slugger that was going to eventually move to right. I didn't, you know, I didn't realize he was like a cheetah in center field. He's he's really really good, uh, and I. You know, I, I wouldn't worry about him. I think he'll be fine, but he also doesn't have to be the most important player on the team right now. So I think that benefits him, too.
0: Oh, sure. Oh, you got Eloy. You got Makata finally hitting the stride. Um, uh, Abreu uh, finally reaching his height. And, you know, you have an outfield with Robert in center and Angle floating around somewhere. Just those two alone could cover the whole freaking outfield. It's amazing. Yeah. And then, you you know, you can
1: go to Larry Garcia, who's a backup type yeah. guy late, late in games is helpful, too. And if Eaton's still decent. Yeah. I mean, that's you know, I, th- I think that's I think that's the plan. I don't know how much White Sox baseball you caught, but there were so many times where Luis Robert would run all the way to like left or right and catch a ball in front of Jimenez or Mazzara. And they just kind of look at him
0: like, dude, what are you doing? You know, and it
1: was it was, pretty <laughs> it, was, it, was a, it was a pretty funny thing here.
0: I did. I caught clips. I have, uh, I have a few friends in, uh, in Chicago White Sox land. And it's, uh, like I said, you know, I think we, we understand each other's ups and downs. Uh, you know, how could you not like the White Sox? It's just, you know, it's fun, man. It's all, uh, it's all good. We understand the, uh, the struggle, but James, I, I do. I got to thank you for coming on. This was a uh, short notice. I guess we can classify this under, uh, emergency pods, but, <laughs> yeah. uh, we where can everybody find you on social media, um, uh, website info, stuff like that?
1: Yeah, so I write and do the podcast over at uh, Future Sox, and then I write big league stuff at Southside Sox, and then I'm at JamesFox917 on Twitter. So thanks, thanks for having me. I'll, uh, I'll come back on if the Mets sign Alex Calamane
0: in a couple of weeks. Bet, man. (laughs) We'll definitely, and and really throughout the season, I think uh, myself and and I hope hope the listeners, uh, we all enjoy getting a little update from around the league. So uh, we'd love to have you back.
1: All right. Sounds good. Thanks, man.
0: All right, buddy. All right, everybody. We will talk to you next time. And uh, let's go, Mets. And hopefully, we're back with some big news.